Book 4, Part 2 of The Excursion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Excursion by William Wordsworth. Book 4, Part 2. A piteous lot it were to flee from man, yet not rejoice in nature. He whose hours are by domestic pleasures uncaressed and unenlivened, who exists whole years apart from benefits received or done mid the transactions of the bustling crowd, who neither hears nor feels a wish to hear of the world's interests, such a one hath need of a quick fancy and an active heart, that for the day's consumption books may yield food not unwholesome, earth and air correct his morbid humor with delight supplied or solace, varying as the seasons change. Truth has her pleasure grounds, her haunts of ease and easy contemplation, gay parterres and labyrinthine walks, her sunny glades and shady groves in studied contrast, each for recreation leading into each. These may he range, if willing to partake their soft indulgences, and in due time may issue thence, recruited for the tasks and course of service truth requires from those who tend her altars, wait upon her throne and guard her fortresses. Who thinks and feels and recognizes ever and anon the breeze of nature stirring in his soul? Why need such man go desperately astray and nurse the dreadful appetite of death? If tired with systems, each in its degree substantial, and all crumbling in their turn, let him build systems of his own, and smile at the fond work, demolished with a touch. If unreligious, let him be at once among ten thousand innocents enrolled a pupil in the many-chambered school where superstition weaves her airy dreams. Life's autumn past, I stand on winter's verge, and daily lose what I desire to keep. Yet rather would I instantly decline to the traditionary sympathies of a most rustic ignorance and take a fearful apprehension from the owl or death-watch and as readily rejoice if two auspicious magpies crossed my way. To this would rather bend than see and hear the repetitious wearisome of sense, where soul is dead and feeling hath no place, where knowledge, ill begun in cold remark on outward things, with formal inference ends, or if the mind turn inward, she recoils at once, or not recoiling is perplexed, lost in a gloom of uninspired research. Meanwhile, the heart within the heart, the seat where peace and happy consciousness should dwell, on its own axis restlessly revolving, seeks, yet can nowhere find, the light of truth. Upon the breast of new-created earth man walked, and when and wheresoe'er he moved, alone or mated, solitude was not. He heard, borne on the wind, the articulate voice of God, and angels to his sight appeared crowning the glorious hills of paradise or through the groves gliding like morning mist enkindled by the sun. He sat and talked with winged messengers, who daily brought to his small island in the ethereal deep tidings of joy and love. From those pure heights, whether of actual vision, sensible to sight and feeling, or that in this sort have condescendingly been shadowed forth communications spiritually maintained and intuitions moral and divine, fell humankind... To banishment condemned that flowing years repealed not, and distress and grief spread wide. But man escaped the doom of destitution. Solitude was not. 
Jehovah, shapeless power above all powers, single and one, the omnipresent God by vocal utterance or blaze of light or cloud of darkness localized in heaven, on earth enshrined within the wandering ark, or out of Zion, thundering from his throne between the cherubim. On the chosen race showered miracles and ceased not to dispense judgment that filled the land from age to age with hope and love and gratitude and fear and with amazement smote, thereby to assert his scorned or unacknowledged sovereignty. And when the one ineffable of name, of nature indivisible, withdrew from mortal adoration or regard, not then was deity engulfed, nor man, the rational creature, left to feel the weight of his own reason without sense or thought of higher reason and a purer will to benefit and bless through mightier power. Whether the Persian, zealous to reject altar and image in the inclusive walls and roofs of temples built by human hands, to loftiest heights ascending from their tops, with myrtle-wreathed tiara on his brow, presented sacrifice to moon and stars and to the winds and mother elements, and the whole circle of the heavens for him a sensitive existence and a God with lifted hands invoked and songs of praise, or less reluctantly to bonds of sense yielding his soul, the Babylonian framed for influence undefined a personal shape, and from the plain with toil immense, upreared tower eight times planted on the top of tower, that Bellus, nightly to his splendid couch descending, there might rest, upon that height pure and serene, diffused to overlook winding Euphrates and the city vast of his devoted worshippers far-stretched, with their grove and field and garden interspersed, their town and fruitful region for support against the pressure of beleaguering war. Chaldean shepherds, Ranging trackless fields beneath the concave of unclouded skies spread like a sea in boundless solitude, looked on the polar star as on a guide and guardian of their course that never closed his steadfast eye. The planetary five, with a submissive reverence they beheld, watched from the center of their sleeping flocks those radiant mercuries that seemed to move carrying through ether, in perpetual round, decrees and resolutions of the gods and by their aspects signifying works of dim futurity to man revealed. The imaginative faculty was lord of observations natural, and thus led on those shepherds made report of stars and set rotation passing to and fro between the orbs of our apparent sphere and its invisible counterpart, adorned with answering constellations under earth removed from all approach of living sight but present to the dead, who so they deemed like those celestial messengers beheld all accidents, and judges were of all. The lively Grecian, in a land of hills, rivers, and fertile plains, and sounding shores, under a cope of sky more variable, could find commodious space for every god, promptly received as prodigally brought from the surrounding countries at the choice of all adventures. With unrivaled skill, as nicest observation furnished hints for studious fancy, his quick hand bestowed on fluent operations a fixed shape, metal or stone, idolatrously served. And yet, triumphant o'er this pompous show of art, this palpable array of sense on every side encountered, in despite of the gross fictions chanted in the streets by wandering rhapsodists, and in contempt of doubt, and bold denial hourly urged amid the wrangling schools, a spirit hung, beautiful region, or thy towns and farms, statues and temples and memorial tombs, and emanations were perceived, 
and acts of immortality in nature's course exemplified by mysteries that were felt as bonds on grave philosopher imposed and armed warrior and in every grove a gay or pensive tenderness prevailed when piety more awful had relaxed take running river take these locks of mine thus would the votary say this severed hair my vow fulfilling do i here present thankful for my beloved child's return thy banks cephasus he again hath trod thy murmurs heard and drunk the crystal lymph with which thou dost refresh the thirsty lip and all day long moistened these flowery fields and doubtless sometimes when the hair was shed upon the flowing stream a thought arose of life continuous being unimpaired that hath been is and where it was and is there shall endure existence unexposed to the blind walk of mortal accident from diminution safe and weakening age while man grows old and dwindles and decays and countless generations of mankind depart and leave no vestige where they trod we live by admiration hope and love and even as these are well and wisely fixed in dignity of being we ascend but what is error answer he who can the skeptic someone haughtily exclaimed love hope and admiration are they not mad fancy's favorite vassals does not life use them full oft as pioneers to ruin guides to destruction is it well to trust imagination's light when reason fails the unguarded taper where the guarded faints stoop from those heights and soberly declare what error is and of our errors which doth most debase the mind the genuine seats of power where are they who shall regulate with truth the scale of intellectual rank methinks persuasively the sage replied that for this arduous office you possess some rare advantages your early days a grateful recollection must supply of much exalted good by heaven vouchsafed to dignify the humblest state your voice hath in my hearing often testified that poor men's children they and they alone by their condition taught can understand the wisdom of the prayer that daily asks for daily bread a consciousness is yours how feelingly religion may be learned in smoky cabins from a mother's tongue heard while the dwelling vibrates to the din of the contiguous torrent gathering strength at every moment and with strength increase of fury or while snow is at the door assaulting and defending and the wind a sightless laborer whistles at his work fearful but resignation tempers fear and piety is sweet to infant minds the shepherd lad that in the sunshine carves on the green turf a dial to divide the silent hours and who to that report can portion out his pleasures and adapt throughout a long and lonely summer's day his round of pastoral duties is not left with less intelligence for moral things of gravest import early he perceives within himself a measure and a rule which to the sun of truth he can apply that shines for him and shines for all mankind experience daily fixing his regards on nature's wants he knows how few they are and where they lie how answered and appeased this knowledge ample recompense affords for manifold privations he refers his notions to this standard on this rock rests his desires and hence in after life soul strengthening patience and sublime content imagination not permitted here to waste her powers as in the worldling's mind 
on fickle pleasures and superfluous cares and trivial ostentation, is left free and puissant to range the solemn walks of time and nature, girded by a zone that, while it binds, invigorates and supports. Acknowledge, then, that whether by the side of his poor hut, or on the mountaintop, or in the cultured field, a man so bred, take from him what you will upon the score of ignorance or illusion, lives and breathes for noble purposes of mind. His heart beats to the heroic song of ancient days. His eye distinguishes, his soul creates. And those illusions which excite the scorn or move the pity of unthinking minds, are they not mainly outward ministers of inward conscience, with whose service charged they come and go, appeared and disappear, diverting evil purposes, remorse awakening, chastening an intemperate grief or pride of heart abating? And when e'er for less important ends those phantoms move, who would forbid them if their presence serve on thinly peopled mountains and wild heaths, filling a space else vacant to exalt the forms of nature and enlarge her powers? Once more to distant ages of the world let us revert and place before our thoughts the face which rural solitude might wear to the unenlightened swains of pagan Greece. In that fair clime the lonely herdsman, stretched on the soft grass through half a summer's day, with music lulled his indolent repose. And in some fit of weariness, if he, when his own breath was silent, chanced to hear a distant strain far sweeter than the sounds which his poor skill could make, his fancy fetched, even from the blazing chariot of the sun, a beardless youth who touched a golden lute and filled the illumined groves with ravishment. The knightly hunter, lifting a bright eye up towards the crescent moon with grateful heart, called on the lovely wanderer who bestowed that timely light to share his joyous sport. And hence, a beaming goddess with her nymphs, across the lawn and through the darksome grove, not unaccompanied with tuneful notes by echo multiplied from rock or cave swept in the storm of chase, as moon and stars glance rapidly along the clouded heaven when winds are blowing strong. The traveler slaked his thirst from rill or gushing fount and thanked the naiad. Sunbeams upon distant hills gliding apace with shadows in their train might, with a small help from fancy, be transformed into fleet oreads sporting visibly. The zephyrs fanning as they passed their wings lacked not for love fair objects whom they wooed with gentle whisper. Withered boughs grotesque, stripped of their leaves and twigs by hoary age, from death of shaggy covert peeping forth in the low vale or on steep mountainside, and sometimes intermixed with stirring horns of the live deer or goat's depending beard, these were the lurking satyrs, a wild brood of gamesome deities, or Pan himself, the simple shepherd's awe-inspiring god. The strain was aptly chosen, and I could mark its kindly influence or the yielding brow of our companion gradually diffused. While listening, he had paced the noiseless turf like one whose untired ear a murmuring stream detains. But tempted now to interpose, he with a smile exclaimed, "'Tis well you speak at a safe distance from our native land and from the mansions where our youth was taught. The true descendants of those godly men who swept from Scotland in a flame of zeal, shrine, altar, image, and the massy piles that harbored them, the souls retaining yet the churlish features of that after-race who fled to woods, caverns, and jutting rocks in deadly scorn of superstitious rites, or what their scruples construed to be such. 
How, think you, would they tolerate this scheme of fine propensities that tends, if urged far as it might be urged, to sow afresh the weeds of Romish fantasy, in vain uprooted? Would reconsecrate our wells to good St. Philan and to fair St. Anne, and from long banishment recall St. Giles to watch again with tutelary love or stately Edinburgh throned on crags? A blessed restoration to behold the patron on the shoulders of his priests, once more parading through her crowded streets, now simply guarded by the sober powers of science and philosophy and sense. This answer followed. You have turned my thoughts upon our brave progenitors, who rose against idolatry with a warlike mind and shrunk from vain observances to lurk in woods and dwell under impending rocks ill-sheltered and oft-wanting fire and food. Why? For this very reason that they felt and did acknowledge wheresoe'er they moved a spiritual presence, oft-times misconceived, but still a high dependence, a divine bounty and government that filled their hearts with joy and gratitude and fear and love. And from their fervent lips drew hymns of praise that through the desert rang. Though favored less, far less than these, yet such in their degree were those bewildered pagans of old time. Beyond their own poor natures and above they looked, were humbly thankful for the good which the warm sun solicited and earth bestowed, were gladsome, and their moral sense they fortified with reverence for the gods, and they had hopes that overstepped the grave. Now shall our great discoverers, he exclaimed, raising his voice triumphantly, obtain from sense and reason less than these obtained, though far misled, Shall men for whom our age unbaffled powers of vision hath prepared to explore the world without and world within be joyless as the blind? Ambitious spirits whom earth at this late season hath produced to regulate the moving spheres and weigh the planets in the hollow of their hand. And they who rather dive than soar, whose pains have solved the elements, or analyzed the thinking principle, shall they in fact prove a degraded race? And what avails renown if their presumption make them such? Oh, there is laughter at their work in heaven. Inquire of ancient wisdom. Go, demand of mighty nature. If t'was ever meant that we should pry far off yet be unraised. That we should pour and dwindle as we pour. Viewing all objects unremittingly in disconnection dead and spiritless, and still dividing and dividing still, break down all grandeur, still unsatisfied with a perverse attempt, while littleness may yet become more little, waging thus an impious warfare with the very life of our own souls. And if indeed there be an all-pervading spirit upon whom our dark foundations rest, could he design that this magnificent effect of power the earth we tread, the sky that we behold by day, and all the pomp which night reveals, that these, and that superior mystery our vital frame so fearfully devised, and the dread soul within it, should exist only to be examined, pondered, searched, probed, vexed, and criticized? Accuse me not of arrogance, unknown wanderer as I am, if having walked with nature threescore years, and offered far as frailty would allow, my heart a daily sacrifice to truth, I now affirm of nature and of truth, whom I have served, that their divinity revolts, offended at the ways of men swayed by such motives to such ends employed. Philosophers who, 
though the human soul be of a thousand faculties composed and twice ten thousand interests, do yet prize this soul and a transcendent universe no more than as a mirror that reflects to proud self-love her own intelligence, that one poor finite object in the abyss of infinite being twinkling restlessly. Nor higher place can be assigned to him and his compeers. The laughing sage of France, crowned he was, if my memory do not err, with laurel planted upon hoary hairs in sight of conquest by his wit achieved, and benefits his wisdom hath conferred. His stooping body tottered with wreaths of flowers, oppressed far less becoming ornaments than spring off twines about a moldering tree. Yet so it pleased a fond, vain old man and a most frivolous people. Him I mean who penned to ridicule confiding faith this sorry legend, which by chance we found piled in a nook through malice as might seem among more innocent rubbish. Speaking thus, with a brief notice when and how and where we had espied the book, he drew it forth, and courteously, as if the act removed at once all traces from the good man's heart of unbenign aversion or contempt, restored it to its owner. Gentle friend, herewith he grasped the solitary's hand, you have known lights and guides better than these. Ah, let not aught amiss within dispose a noble mind to practice on herself and tempt opinion to support the wrongs of passion. Whatsoe'er be felt or feared from higher judgment seats, make no appeal to lower. Can you question that the soul inherits an allegiance, not by choice to be cast off upon an oath proposed by each new upstart notion? In the ports of levity no refuge can be found, no shelter for a spirit in distress. He who by willful disesteem of life and proud insensibility to hope affronts the eye of solitude shall learn that her mild nature can be terrible that neither she nor silence lack the power to avenge their own insulted majesty. O oh, blessed seclusion, when the mind admits the law of duty, and can therefore move through each vicissitude of loss and gain, linked in entire complacence within her choice. When youth's presumptuousness is mellowed down, and manhood's vain anxiety dismissed, when wisdom shows her seasonable fruit upon the boughs of sheltering leisure hung in sober plenty, when the spirit stoops to drink with gratitude the crystal stream of unreproved enjoyment and is pleased to muse and be saluted by the air of meek repentance, wafting wallflower scents from out the crumbling ruins of fallen pride and chambers of transgressions now forlorn. O calm, contented days and peaceful nights, who, when such good can be obtained, would strive to reconcile his manhood to a couch soft as may seem, but under that disguise stuffed with the thorny substance of the past for fixed annoyance, and full oft beset with floating dreams, black and disconsolate, the vapory phantoms of futurity. Within the soul a faculty abides, and with interpositions which would hide and darken so can deal that they become contingencies of pomp and serve to exalt her native brightness. As the ample moon, in the deep stillness of a summer even, rising behind a thick and lofty grove, burns like an unconsuming fire of light in the green trees, and kindling on all sides their leafy umbrage, turns the dusky veil into a substance glorious as her own, yea, with her own incorporated, by power capacious and serene. 
Like power abides in man's celestial spirit. Virtue thus sets forth and magnifies herself, thus feeds a calm, a beautiful and silent fire. From the encumbrances of mortal life, from error, disappointment, nay, from guilt, and sometimes so relenting justice wills from palpable oppressions of despair. The solitary by these words was touched with manifest emotion and exclaimed, But how begin, and whence? The mind is free. Resolve, the haughty mortalist would say, this single act is all that we demand. Alas, such wisdom bids a creature fly whose very sorrow is that time hath shorn his natural wings. To friendship let him turn for succor, but perhaps he sits alone on stormy waters tossed in a little boat that holds but him and can contain no more. Religion tells of amity sublime which no condition can preclude, of one who sees all suffering, comprehends all wants, all weakness fathoms, can supply all needs. But is that bounty absolute? His gifts, are they not still in some degree rewards for acts of service? Can his love extend to hearts that own not him? Will showers of grace, when in the sky no promise may be seen, fall to refresh a parched and withered land? Or shall the groaning spirit cast her load at the Redeemer's feet? In rueful tone, with some impatience in his mien, he spake, Back to my mind rushed all that had been urged to calm the sufferer when his story closed. I look for counsel as an unbending now, but a discriminating sympathy stooped to this apt reply. As men from men do in the constitution of their souls differ by mystery not to be explained, and as we fall by various ways and sink one deeper than another, self-condemned through manifold degrees of guilt and shame, so manifold and various are the ways of restoration, fashioned to the steps of all infirmity, and tending all to the same point, attainable by all, peace in ourselves and union with our God. For you, assuredly, a hopeful road lies open. We have heard from you a voice at every moment softened in its course by tenderness of heart, have seen your eye, even like an altar lit by fire from heaven, kindle before us. Your discourse this day that like the fabled Lethe wished to flow in creeping sadness through oblivious shades of death and night has caught at every turn the colors of the sun. Access for you is yet preserved to principles of truth which the imaginative will upholds in seats of wisdom not to be approached by the inferior faculty that molds with her minute and speculative pains opinion ever-changing. I have seen a curious child who dwelt upon a tract of inland ground, applying to his ear the convolutions of a smooth-lipped shell, to which in silence hushed his very soul listened intensely, and his countenance soon brightened with joy. For from within were heard murmurings, whereby the monitor expressed mysterious union with its native sea. Even such a shell the universe itself is to the ear of faith. And there are times, I doubt not, when to you it doth impart authentic tidings of invisible things, of ebb and flow and ever-during power, and central peace subsisting at the heart of endless agitation. Here you stand, adore and worship when you know it not, pious beyond the intention of your thought, devout above the meaning of your will. Yes, you have felt, and may not cease to feel, the estate of man would be indeed forlorn if false conclusions of the reasoning power made the eye blind and closed the passages through which the ear converses with the heart. 
Has not the soul, the being of your life, received a shock of awful consciousness in some calm season, when these lofty rocks at night's approach bring down the unclouded sky to rest upon their circumambient walls, a temple framing of dimensions vast, and yet not too enormous for the sound of human anthems? Choral song or burst sublime of instrumental harmony to glorify the eternal. What if these did never break the stillness that prevails here? If the solemn nightingale be mute and the soft woodlark here did never chant her vespers, nature fails not to provide impulse and utterance. The whispering air sends inspiration from the shadowy heights and blind recesses of the caverned rocks. The little rills and waters numberless, inaudible by daylight, blend their notes with the loud streams and often at the hour when issue forth the first pale stars is heard within the circuit of this fabric huge one voice the solitary raven flying athwart the concave of the dark blue dome unseen perchance above all power of sight an iron knell with echoes from afar faint and still fainter as the cry with which the wanderer accompanies her flight through the calm region fades upon the air diminishing by distance till it seemed to expire, yet from the abyss is caught again, and yet again recovered. But descending from these imaginative heights that yield far-stretching views into eternity, acknowledge that to nature's humbler power your cherished sullenness is forced to bend even here where her amenities are sown with sparing hand. Then trust yourself abroad to range her blooming bowers and spacious fields, where on the labors of the happy throng she smiles, including in her wide embrace city and town and tower, and sea with ships sprinkled. Be our companion while we track her rivers populous with gliding life. While free as air, or printless sands we march, or pierce the gloom of her majestic woods, roaming or resting under grateful shade in peace and meditative cheerfulness, where living things and things inanimate do speak, at heaven's command to eye and ear and speak to social reason's inner sense with inarticulate language for the man who in this spirit communes with the forms of nature who with understanding heart both knows and loves such objects as excite no morbid passions no disquietude no vengeance and no hatred needs must feel the joy of that pure principle of love so deeply that unsatisfied with aught less pure and exquisite, he cannot choose but seek for objects of a kindred love and fellow natures and a kindred joy. Accordingly, he by degrees perceives his feelings of aversion softened down. A holy tenderness pervade his frame. His sanity of reason not impaired. Say rather all his thoughts now flowing clear, from a clear fountain flowing. He looks round and seeks for good and finds the good he seeks until abhorrence and contempt are things he only knows by name, and if he hear from other mouths the language which they speak, he is compassionate, and has no thought, no feeling which can overcome his love. And further, by contemplating these forms in the relations which they bear to man, he shall discern how through the various means which silently they yield are multiplied the spiritual presences of absent things. Trust me that for the instructed time will come when they shall meet no object but may teach some acceptable lesson to their minds of human suffering or of human joy. So shall they learn, while all things speak of man, their duties from all forms, 
and general laws and local accidents shall tend alike to rouse to urge and with the will confer the ability to spread the blessings wide of true philanthropy the light of love not failing perseverance from their steps departing not for them shall be confirmed the glorious habit by which sense is made subservient still to moral purposes auxiliar to divine that change shall clothe the naked spirit ceasing to deplore the burden of existence science then shall be a precious visitant and then and only then be worthy of her name for then her heart shall kindle her dull eye dull and inanimate no more shall hang chained to its object in brute slavery but taught with patient interest to watch the processes of things and serve the cause of order and distinctness not for this shall it forget that its most noble use its most illustrious province must be found in furnishing clear guidance a support not treacherous to the mind's excursive power so we build up the being that we are thus deeply drinking in the soul of things we shall be wise perforce and while inspired by choice and conscious that the will is free shall move unswerving even as if impelled by strict necessity along the path of order and of good whate'er we see or feel shall tend to quicken and refine shall fix in calmer seats of moral strength earthly desires and raise to loftier heights of divine love our intellectual soul here closed the sage that eloquent harangue poured forth with fervor and continuous streams such as remote mid savage wilderness an indian chief discharges from his breast into the hearing of assembled tribes in open circle seated round and hushed as the unbreathing air when not a leaf stirs in the mighty woods so did he speak the words he uttered shall not pass away dispersed like music that the wind takes up by snatches and lets fall to be forgotten no they sank into me the bounteous gift of one whom time and nature had made wise gracing his doctrine with authority which hostile spirits silently allow of one accustomed to desires that feed on fruitage gathered from the tree of life to hopes on knowledge and experience built of one in whom persuasion and belief had ripened into faith and faith become a passionate intuition whence the soul though bound to earth by ties of pity and love from all injurious servitude was free the sun before his place of rest were reached had yet to travel far but unto us to us who stood low in that hollow dell he had become invisible a pomp leaving behind of yellow radiance spread over the mountain sides in contrast bold with ample shadows seemingly no less than those resplendent lights his rich bequest a dispensation of his evening power adown the path that from the glen had led the funeral train the shepherd and his mate were seen descending forth to greet them ran our little page the rustic pair approached and in the matron's countenance may be read plain indication that the words which told how that neglected pensioner was sent before his time into a quiet grave had done to her humanity no wrong but we are kindly welcomed promptly served with ostentatious zeal along the floor of the small cottage in the lonely dell a grateful couch was spread for our repose here in the guise of mountaineers we lay stretched upon fragrant heath and lulled by sound of far-off torrents charming the still night and to tired limbs and over-busy thoughts inviting sleep and soft forgetfulness
End of Book 4, Part 2 of The Excursion by William Wordsworth.